additional announcement that I wanted to make sure that we did. Um, if you notice in your bulletins, there's a, a chili cook-off Saturday. It's actually kind of been transformed into more of a, a fall festival. Um, so I want to encourage you to come Saturday at 5 o'clock. Um, bring your chili. Uh, bring other things. That there's information in your bulletin with that. But especially for children, we did, uh, right, we're saying come in your costumes and everything. We're going to have lots of pumpkins, lots of breaking of pumpkins. Um, so just want to encourage you to come. It'll be a, a fun time. We're going to spend it outside. Uh, so maybe bring a jacket also, but it should be a good time. So I want to encourage you about that. Um, we are in a series uh, titled Shepherds of the Flock. Um, and what we've been looking at is, is what is an elder? Who is an elder? Why are elders important? What does God's word say about it? Today we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, page numbers at the top of your worship guide there uh, for the Bibles that are in front of you. In this book, Timothy has been struggling with false teachers. They've come into the church and therefore uh, been teaching uh, false doctrine, which is leading people into uh, living in ungodly lives. And so much of 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to the church. He's instructing the church on not only correct doctrine, but on what it means then to live a godly life. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, we said godliness is devotion in action. Godliness is living out our faith in everyday life. It's how we rightly apply God's word in our everyday lives. So that's kind of what we're talking about when we're, when we're mentioning the word godliness. And so today we're going to see how a church's godliness affects the way it honors and relates to, it, to its elders. Now why is that topic worthy of preaching? Like think about it. We're, we're going to talk about a church relating to elders. Why should we be excited about how a church honors, protects, rebukes, and appoints elders? Like, why should we be excited? Well, at least two reasons. Number one, it's in God's word, so it's good for us. God has given us his word that we, would, that we would know him, know how to live, know how his church is to be guided, and know how to live pleasing lives. So it's in, the ch- it's in his word that, that we would benefit from it. So that's one, but, but another reason, what we're going to see is that the way the church relates to its elders points to something much greater. In, in 1 Peter 5, actually going all the way to chapter 6, verses 2, Paul's going to mention three types of people that the church is to honor. He's going to talk about widows, elders, and masters. Now possibly, he chooses these three groups because the false teachers have attacked these three types of groups. So now he's maybe responding. The false teachers have said, act this way. And now he's saying, no, this is how we honor them. This is how we treat them. Uh, Paul's going to show how do we reveal our godliness in these three types of people. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the section uh, that is applied to elders, chapter uh, 5, verse 17 through 25. But what I'm going to do is give you the kind of the 10-second summary of the entire section from chapter 5 to chapter 6, verse 2. Um, and I'll just show you, from kind of from the zoomed-out view, why it's important that we display godliness in the way we relate to these three groups of people. Number one, it is godly for a church to honor its widows because that is the way we show God's compassion and mercy on those in need. That's why we show compa- that's why we honor them. Number 2, it is godly for a church to honor its elders because that is the way we show our love and devotion to God's word. That's what we're going to unpack today. Number 3, it's godly for a church to honor its masters, meaning slaves to its masters, because that is the way not only do we show our commitment uh, to, to God, but also but it's a way we show our commitment to God in all things that we do, in the way that we honor the masters. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to particularly look at elders today. But as you can see, the entire section is about honoring them because it represents really the character of God um, for all three of these categories. But if you don't mind, we stand when we read God's word. So I'll ask you to stand. Uh, we're going to read chapter 5, verse 17 through 25. Verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even, those, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is holy and perfect in every way. We thank you that you have given us your word that reveals you. It reveals to us who you are. It reveals to us your character. It reveals to us your plan of redemption. It reveals to us that you are a triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, and that you have sent your Son to die on a cross that we would believe in him, would be saved, would be adopted, would be forgiven forever, blessed and promised to live in eternity with you forever in a new heavens and new earth. Father, we thank you for your word that reveals all this. We thank you for your word that reveals to us that we are saved to be part of your body, to be the bride of Christ. And that you've given us your spirit that who would empower us to live in a way that would please you, honor you, glorify you here on earth. And so, Lord, as we look at your word today, may we do so because it is good for us as it reveals to us you, your plan of redemption. And it guides us into godliness. It guides us into living, living in the way that you have called us to live. And so, God, may we take this passage May we learn from it, God. May your spirit be with us today, applying it to our hearts. May it transform the way we view your word today. May it transform the way we honor your word today. God, we thank you for this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to walk through in three points. There's no, there's no blanks today. It's an easy worship guide, so um, it's, it's open for you to take lots of notes. Uh, you can text in your questions. And we will answer those at the end. Verse 17 says, elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. So we're going to unpack that first. Um, what does it mean to rule well? The word rule is the same word that was used in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, when we were told uh, in the description of what are the qualifications of an elder, part of that is an elder is to manage his household well. And so the word manage was the same word that's used here. And so we're not talking about dictatoring, we're not talking about a tyrant, we're talking about leading and shepherding as Christ leads and shepherds. But then, Paul says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So th there's, there's a couple views here. Some people say, well, Paul has in mind here 
two types of elders. There's the ruling elders, and then there's those elders who preach and teach. But according to Acts 20, according to 1 Timothy 3, according to Titus 1, every time the elders are mentioned and were given the function, it always includes the preaching and teaching. It always includes the, the wielding of the word of God. So it does not appear that Paul has in mind ever that there's two types of elders. Elders who don't teach, but they just rule. And then there's elders who, who just teach. The word especially seems to clarify what Paul is getting at. This would mean that, um, this would mean that elders who rule well by preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor. Now, just because I say that, you shouldn't believe it. Like, I, I could have just lied to you for all you know. I could say, well, it's those who preach and teach. So we want to know, from the text, how do we get to that? So we want to look, um, how do we know this is the best interpretation of this text? There's two other times Paul uses the word especially in the book of 1 Timothy. If you look at chapter 4, verse 10, this is in the, in the part where Paul is talking to Timothy and saying, you are to be trained, for, you are to train in godliness, and you are to train others in godliness. And in chapter 4, verse 10, we read this. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. So I ask you, is God the Savior of all people? Do all people go to heaven? Does he save all people? Well, no. We know, I mean, there's, there's false teachers here in this book that are going against false doctrine, that don't believe in God. So the word especially seems to qualify who he saves. He saves all people. All who believe in him. Chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, this is in the section where we're talking about honoring widows. And he says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So what's he, who are we supposed to support? That if we don't support, then we're worse than an unbeliever, meaning, meaning we probably have no faith in God. Well, the word especially for members of his household seems to be qualifying who the relatives are. Meaning we're not talking about the distant uncle that lives six towns over. We're talking about your mother and your father, those who live in your house. So the word especially is qualifying who he's talking about. So if we take those examples and we understand the word especially is always qualifying what has previously been said, then what we see in chapter 5 verse 17 is that, uh, the elders who rule well are those who preach and teach. Paul's emphasizing the importance of God's word. After all, it's God's word that reveals to us God. It's God's word that saves. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. It's God's word that equips us and trains us for godliness. It's God's word that guides us into how to live a life that glorifies God. So in, in 5.17, when when Paul is instructing the church to honor those who preach and teach the word of God, ultimately, Paul is calling the church to honor the studying and the proclaiming of God's word. He's calling them to ensure the teaching of God's word. And so what does it mean then that these elders are worthy of double honor? Well, the word honor is used three times in this section. So it would do us good to look at how it's used in those other points to then to see how it's applied here because some people have said well it just means that you you respect them um, some people say it's respect and then double honor so you respect them and pay them um, some people say it, it's just emphasizing that you pay them well so so what does it mean 
Well, let's look at the other two sections. Chapter 5, verse 3, he's going to refer to widows. Chapter 6, verse uh, 1, he's referring to masters. So we'll take them one at a time. When Paul calls the church to honor godly widows who does not have family, he's calling the church to financially support them. If you look, verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened. Well, how would they be burdened? Because they would be physically taking care of her needs so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So the church wants to be burdened by those who don't have others to take care of them. So we will take that burden. We will meet those physical needs. We will pay and give them whatever resources they need. In chapter 6, we have Paul talking about how slaves are to honor their masters. And so he gives two reasons. He says, you're to honor your master because it glorifies God when you do so. But secondly, and he says, especially when they're a believing master, because it benefits them. You're benefiting believers. You're benefiting your brothers in Christ. So he's saying, work hard because it financially benefits them. So when Paul calls the church to give double honor to elders who teach and preach, he's not calling them just to honor them. They're to honor widows also. They're to honor the masters also. Honor is built into everything that we're supposed to do. He's talking about the financially supporting. He's calling the church to give, but not just give, but to give generously. The conclusion is validated if you look at verse 18. There Paul quotes Deuteronomy 25.4, and he quotes the words of Jesus, which, just so you know, that teaches us that at this time, Within the first century, the New Testament, like the Gospels, are being circulated and they're being used as Scripture. Paul's quoting Luke and using it as Scripture to validate his point here. And both of these um, um, references that Luke points to refers to the compensation for hard work. So what this means is that when the church takes an offering, like we do at the end of the service, um, it's a time for the church's godliness to be revealed through their generosity. Now think about this. Our generosity, our generous giving is to testify of what? Of our love for God's word. Our generous giving is a means of guarding against false teaching. We want to pay well, not only so we have lights, not only so we support missionaries and things outside the building, but so especially here that the preaching and teaching goes forth, which is why when Andrew came and we became aware of him, but we wanted to bring him on so we'd have good quality teaching with the students, which is why we, we purchased good quality materials, the material that the women are going to use for, um, for the prayer Bible study. It's good material that we've looked at, and we want to buy that so it's good material. Our generous giving is a means in which we demonstrate the priority of the studying of God's word, the preaching of God's word, and the equipping of God's uh, the equipping of others with God's word. That's part of what happens when we give. We're not just paying for lights. It's a demonstration of our faith, of the worthiness of the word of God, and the priority that we place upon that. And really, that should be a reflection of our own heart. As we grow in personal just love with God's word, as we're studying it throughout the week, when we come together as a church, it's a way for us to publicly demonstrate as a body of believers the priority of God's word. So that's point one on how we honor elders. Number two, we're also protecting and rebuking elders. 
with the presence of false teachers um, infecting the church here in Ephesus, most likely Timothy, most likely other leaders probably got caught in the crosshairs. If you look at chapter 6, verse 4, we read a description of the ungodliness of the false teachers. And it talks about the false teachers are puffed up with conceit and understand nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspensions, suspicions. Go on to verse 5. And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So we have people here just causing problems. In fact, anytime you have a group of people, the church is not immune to this. There always seems to be those, those certain people who self-appoint themselves to cause problems, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about. If you work anywhere, um, there's always that one person, and you're like, yep, they've self-designated themselves to be the problem person. They question everything, but not because they respect and they honor, because they want to find fault in everything. They question everyone's motives. You ever been with those people? They question every single motive. It's not because they honor you and love you and they're trying to better understand you. They're trying to find faults in you. And at times we have that in the church, right? Oh, Nick, Nick used the wrong word today. You know, he didn't use the plural sense. Or, you know, he, he got a word turned around. Or he got confused. Or, or I don't agree with this decision. Or I can't believe that they're giving out those snacks in the nursery. There's things that we can argue about all the time, and most of those things don't matter, and that's what the false teachers do. They cause problems everywhere, and there's always problems for leaders. Um, any leader, a- anyone who leads always has a bullseye on their back. Y- if you've led in any capacity, you know this. If you're a mom, you know this. Your kids think you have a bullseye on their back, right? And they're always trying to find fault with something, and the bigger the leader, the bigger the bullseye. In verse 19, Paul is then going to remind the church that we must protect those who preach and teach God's word. And, and this, is, this is not something uncommon to us today. We know that leaders fall, right? I mean, we've seen in the past just decade countless amounts of pastors who have committed either sexual morality, um, some type of financial fraud, or just many other types of immoralities. And Satan loves it. He loves when the bride of Christ The world loves it. It, It's almost as if the world loves to see it because it justifies their behavior. They think, well, this group thinks they're holy. And look at how they messed up. I guess they're not so good. I guess it doesn't really matter how I live either. The church, the world loves when the church has problems within it. So how do we protect those who labor in the preaching and teaching of God's word? Number one, we don't let gossip exist. We don't let one person, one person's opinion or perception spread throughout the whole church or the community. The last church I was at, there were some struggles. There were, there was a good church that, that I do really believe they want to love God, but they definitely had some problems with leaders. In 45 years, they went through 15 pastors. That's and some of those pastors were there less than three years, and so they were just going through them. And the neighbors, when we first moved there, they knew this. And we had a neighbor that lived across the street, which we became great friends of. And he would regularly come around, and it was joking, but it wasn't joking. Have they, uh, have they kicked you out yet? That was the message that the community had because of what was going on within the church. And the world loves that. 
Um, but as a church, we don't let gossip exist. We don't let perception get spread throughout the church. What do we do? Well, uh, we come to verse 19, and we see that any charge that's brought up requires evidence and must be substantiated by at least two to three people. Paul says, uh, we require, or yeah, verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this is not new teaching. This is not new. Back Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy 19, 2 Corinthians 13, Matthew 18. The people of God are regularly to practice where there is to be multiple people coming. If you have a problem with a person, yes, you can go to them one-on-one. But if their problem persists, yes, you are to bring more people. Before you involve many others, you always involve one or two others that you might go to them, that you might talk with them. And then, of course, it progresses from there. Matthew 18 seems to give us kind of a guide there. The church is family. And therefore, we guard one another. Go, to, um, go back to chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Look at the words that are used here. Now, just think about what Paul is communicating in verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. What's he getting at? We're family. Brothers and sisters, we're fathers and mothers here. Would you let someone walk into your house and accuse family members of wrongdoing? And just let them spread lies in your house? No, we throw them out, right? We, we would deal with that. And we're family. And so one of the things we guard one another, we guard those who lead the family, and we guard all the family members as well, because we've been saved to be a part of the body of Christ. And therefore, we don't want gossip to spread. If someone is saying something, we say, hey, hold on, let's not, let's not spread that. Let's not talk about that. Maybe you need to go to that person and talk to them specifically. And in fact, this is one area that I, I truly love about this church. Like since day one, I think you have demonstrated, since day one that I've known you, you've demonstrated a familiness about you. And, and what I believe and what I believe I've heard from others is you've grown in this familiness throughout the years. In fact, if you notice, when people join, one of the primary things, and we don't tell them what to say, we just give a few words and make sure it's positive, um, but when people join, we just say, would you share with why you want to join? Almost across the board, everyone says, because we were welcome, because we feel like family, because we're loved here. We feel like you actually really do care about us, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. And so um, I thank you for that. That's a, that's a massive just testimony of grace that exists here to know that God has been working in you and been growing that in you. And from my perspective, and I've seen different churches, like this is not the common thing in all churches. Not, not a lot of churches have that built into the DNA. It should be, and I think a lot of churches are growing more and more in that, but that is something that God has blessed here. So I hope you know that. Take joy in that. When we come together, there really is a sense of family. And I appreciate that. I love that my wife sees that. I love that my kids see that. As a church family, let us never be quick to accept an accusation about anyone from anyone. Never. It's the fastest way that we guard anyone. We don't let the gossip go. We don't let the lies go. Now think about this. There's logic here, right? There's logic that, that, Timothy, that Paul has built in. 
if an elder meets the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, which we went through a couple weeks ago, if we've observed their love for God and others, if we've observed their priority, how they prioritize the word of God, if we know they have a good reputation with outsiders, if we know they're managing the family well, if we see godliness not only in their own life, but we also see them intentionally coming alongside others, training others for godliness, then doesn't it make sense that we would guard them? These are people that we've examined and we say, we believe they're godly. And now we're going to take an accusation? No, we, we, our first reaction is always to recoil against that. It's always to put our arms up. A guarding of a pastor, an elder, is a means in which we actually are guarding the preaching and teaching of God's word. See, everything is coming back here, not to necessarily elevate a person, but it's elevating the word of God that he has given us and the fact that it is used to equip us, to guide us, to, to grow us in our faith, to help lead us into godliness, to equip us, that we would be able to equip others. So when we're talking about this generous giving, this honoring, this protecting, I don't want you to get in your mind that either I'm saying or that somehow something is being communicated. We just guard this person because we just love them so much. I mean, I hope you love me. I hope you guard me because you love me and Bill uh, as one of our elders. But we do so because we're prioritizing the word of God. That's, that's what this passage is, is elevating here. But while we do guard the position of elder, we must never think that elders are immune to sin. And so this is why Paul now goes right into this. Elders are not perfect. In fact, the other night, my wife was very kind and gracious to point out some sinful tendencies in me. So isn't that wonderful? Isn't that what good spouses can do? They can bring those up. And it was good. Um, but we, we all require forgiveness from one another, don't we? I require forgiveness from you. You will probably at times require forgiveness from me. Um, and we all need love to cover our offenses, right? I mean, it is probably uh, not out of the ballpark to think that I could easily offend someone um, and step on your toes today, and I wouldn't even know I did it. And you can either choose, well, do I want to be upset at that, or do I just let love cover, because I think he just got his words confused. We need to let love cover our offenses, right? There's so many things that we get upset about, but if we just simply let love cover them, then most of the things that we get bent out of shape about, we never need to probably bring up. But we do see, as in verse 20, if an elder persists in sin, they're to be publicly rebuked. So we have, um, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so, they may, so the rest may stand in fear. Now, why do we do this? I've talked to many people. Church discipline, we don't do that. That's unloving. We would never want to do that. In fact, there's many people who leave churches because of church discipline. You know, our church actually, they took sin seriously, and they talked to people about it, so we just decided we shouldn't go there. We didn't want to be a part of a church like that. That's in essence what they say. Now, they use different words. They use a different tone. But that's, that's what they say, and I've, I've ran into countless amounts of those people. But now think about this. It actually communicates the right message, right? It communicates our devotion is to God above any other person, Right? And, and our devotion is to the word of God, the purity of God's word, the upholding of the word of God versus the upholding of a person. Think about Acts chapter 5. We have the early church. 
Ananias and Sapphira, two people involved in the church, and they're probably involved in all the committees. They're the probably people who, when they come, everyone's like, great, Ananias and Sapphira are here. And, and they just love being a part of it. And then they sell some property, right? They sell some property, and they sold it for X dollars, but they say we actually sold it for a lot, or they, they said they sold it for X dollars, and they, they gave that much money, but they actually sold it for a lot more. So they're actually just not being honest. Now, it's not wrong for them to sell their property and only give a portion of it to the church. But the thing is, they thought they could lie about it. And so they said, we gave it all. Look at us. We gave everything. And do you remember what happened? They were struck down. They died, both of them. That sounds a little severe. But in the very beginning of the church, what we're seeing is holiness and godliness matters. And so what then we also read in chapter 5, verse 11 of Acts is great Fear came upon the whole church and upon all, all who heard of these things. Now, now think about it. What would have happened if there was no punishment? I guess it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't matter how pure we are. Maybe it doesn't matter if we lie about things. But God is making very clear from the very beginning, godliness and holiness matter within the church. So what does it mean to stand in fear? It means to be an unwavering uh, in our reverent, in our reverence and our devotion to God. It's really talking about our godliness. It's a commitment to godliness. Think about this. A, a parent who curses and lies in front of their kids to others, what's he teaching his kids? That it's okay not to love or respect others. You can treat them however you want. So his ungodliness is leading the very people he's to be shepherding into ungodliness. That's what happens if a pastor is not rebuked. If they begin living an ungodly life and leading others into ungodliness and nobody does anything, what's the message being taught? I guess ungodliness becomes godliness. And it doesn't matter. But we don't, it doesn't matter if we read our words. It doesn't matter how we talk to one another. And then you can very easily see how we could slip right over in chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, where we have all the dissension and envy and problems that the false teachers are bringing. It's loving to rebuke a pastor. And that, see, I could say this now. I'm being rebuked. But nobody wants to be rebuked when it happens, right? No kid wants to be disciplined. Nobody wants it, but it's good, isn't it? A pastor who persists in sin leads his church to ungodliness. The rebuke of an elder serves not only to correct the elder, but also to correct the church. So let me just summarize where we've been. Number one. When a, church gives, when a church generously gives to elders, it demonstrates its love for God's word. Uh, you see that in the double honoring. When a church vigorously protects an elder, it does so to protect the preaching of God's word. When a church publicly rebukes an elder, it demonstrates its commitment and devotion to the purity of God's word. Again, do you see how everything about this, again, I really want to caution. We're not talking about elevating a man like me or, or any other elder who will ever stand here before you. We're talking about honoring the position because what the position represents of leading the church with the word of God. And Paul is really directing us to understanding the word of God and how our godliness is revealed in, the, in how we relate and connect with those who teach the word of God publicly. Verse 21 Paul's going to remind the church the weightiness of this command. He says, he charges us in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and the elect angels to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Look, as a church, 
at times we're going to be tempted in matters of sin. Um, there's going to be uh, sin. There's going to be accusation. There's going to be times we're going to need to discipline. And there's going to be times when those things are brought together and we're going to want to compromise. Maybe it's we don't want to act. Maybe it's we want to act too quickly. We don't even have all the facts. We haven't even prayed about it. And we just, we're just going to deal discipline because that's what we do. It said publicly rebuke. So bring them up here and we'll rebuke them, right? So we're just very zealous about that. Or maybe it's, I really like him. I really like this person. I don't really want to do that. What if that ends our friendship? So there's, there's going to be times we're going to be compromised. Are we going to obey the word of God? So what Paul is doing here, he's reminding that our lives are on display ultimately before the heavenly host, before God our Father, before the Son Jesus Christ who came and died so that we would be forgiven, that he would purchase us with his blood between all the, and before all the elect angels. As a church, we're saved by grace to live a godly life. God has given us his word to instruct us. We want to preserve that. We want to protect those who teach. We want to honor the teaching of God's word. But if there's ever deviation from the word of God, we always come back to the word of God. Next, the appointing of elders. This is the remaining of our passage. Verse 22, Paul says, Do not be hasty about laying on of hands. Remember, elders lead the charge in equipping others with God's word. They're not the only ones who do it, but we lead the charge. The way, we, the way we read the Bible here hopefully informs the way you read the Bible at home. The way we read the Bible here and study it should inform the way we are desiring for our Bible studies to be led. So we don't just get any Bible study. We want good Bible studies that bring forth the Word of God. We want to be careful within who we appoint because whatever happens up here is teaching, right? The way we pray teaches. The way we interact teaches. The way we bring about the Word of God. The songs we sing teach. Do you know that? Like We are very intentional on the songs that we sing. There's a lot of good songs that are on the radio, right? And we all love it, kind of in the car, listening to those. But if you think about it, a lot of those songs are not very doctrinal. In fact, some of them are pretty blasphemous in many ways. And so we're pretty intentional about whatever we sing here. It not only goes in line with the text. If you notice, our songs are always with the intent of matching the text. Now, it's hard to do that at times. My wife sometimes comes to me, you're preaching on elders, huh? There's no song that deals with elders. So then we have to get into themes that are being displayed, like the character of God, the word of God, and other things. But everything we do teaches. So we need to be very mindful about whoever we appoint as leaders teaches what's important. It teaches because we're either teaching towards godliness or we're teaching towards ungodliness. Parents, you know this, right? Everything you do before your kids teaches. What you watch on TV teaches them what, what's okay to watch. How you speak to your spouse teaches them how they're to relate to others and to their spouse. How they overhear you talk about work is going to affect the way they think about work when they get to work. You just hate work all the time. You complain about it all the time. You're teaching your kids, well, I have to do work, but I hate it. It's terrible. I hate my boss. I hate everyone else. I mean, just think, everything we do teaches. That's not a new fact. So when we're saying, don't be hasty, we're very aware that within a church, everything we do teaches. Donna Hatfield, told you I was going to use you today. I quote her. We were talking the other day because she was one of the women praying about um, <coughs> the Bible study. 
And she reminded me, look, leaders directly affect the ones that they lead. And we see this all throughout Scripture, right? Go, go to the book of Kings, First and Second Kings. Good kings do what? Lead their people towards godliness. Guess what? Can you figure it out? Ungodly kings do what? Lead their people towards ungodliness. You can just divide a line. We have good kings and we have bad kings. We have the worshiping of God. We have the worshiping of idols. I mean, that's how you literally divide the kings. Were they good or were they bad? And did the people get led to godliness or ungodliness? That's why the good news of the church is that Jesus comes as our ultimate head. And in two weeks, that's our sermon, looking at Jesus as the ultimate elder. Because as I or any other elder who ever stand before you, we're not perfect, and we'll get into that in a few moments. But the good news is we ultimately have the perfect leader, the righteous leader, which is why we're able to be led in righteousness. You see that? In the Old Testament, we're always like, why don't the people just get it? Well, we need a good leader. We need the one who leads them. It's not that you look to me. It's ultimately we look to Christ who perfectly leads the church. But the amazing thing is, and crazy I would say at times, is he uses men called elders to lead the church. So as the head goes, so goes the body. So we understand that as leaders, we're very much, as we point elders, they're going to influence the way the church goes. So we want to be careful. It's not like buying a used car. Think about it. If you go buy a used car, you, how, how do you even find a car? Craigslist maybe? Um, eBay? Maybe the newspaper? Does anyone use that? I'm not sure, but Craigslist I think is the number one way. And you read about you find a description that meets whatever you're looking for, and you go look at the car, and it's in pristine condition. You're like, oh, this is, this is amazing. I mean, this just looks really good. You get inside it has that good car smell all throughout, no foul odors at all. It's clean looking. You can see that they've meticulously taken care of it. You turn it on and it sounds awesome. You're like, oh, this is good. You take it for the spin around the, around the block, get on the highway, and you go, and you're like, man, everything is a go here. You come back, you make the deal. You drive home with the new car, right? A month later, you're like, huh, it's kind of a knocking noise I hear in the engine. That's strange. And you notice at times when you're shifting, it seems that there's kind of a delay. You know, it's a kind of a spins and then it catches and then all of a sudden you start going or you start going in reverse. And you're like, well, that's, that's weird. That didn't do that when I initially looked at it. But now that some time has gone by, the truth of the matter re is revealed. You take it to the dealer or whoever you go to and they're like, well, strange thing. It doesn't appear the oil has ever been changed. You're going to need a new engine and transmission, which now costs more than the car. Time reveals everything. We don't want to be hasty with appointing our leaders. We want to take time. We want to take time to make sure they meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. We want to see, do they actually love God? Do they actually love the church? Who do they invest in? Have they invested in anyone? Paul says then in verse 22, we need to be careful so that we don't take part in the sins of others. What does that mean? Well, if, if we go back to chapter 3, where we're given all these qualifications, chapter 3, verse 6 says that if we appoint an elder who is a recent convert, there's the possibility that he will be puffed up, fall into the condemnation of the devil. So there's a, there's a problem there. Chapter 3, verse 7 
that if we appoint an elder, that we are to appoint elders who have good reputation. But if we don't appoint an elder who has a good reputation, they may fall into the snare of the devil. So who's at fault? Well, the elder's at fault, right? He's the one who got puffed up. He's the one who fell into condemnation. He's the one who did not continue to abide in God's word. And the church is at fault. Because we did not take time to know. We did not take time to carefully examine. So there's a fault there. I've seen many churches who simply appoint leaders because no one else wants to lead. They may get who's willing, but that does not mean you get who's qualified. It would be better for a church to have one or two elders than an entire room filled with elders who are not qualified. It would be good to have one or two qualified. It's okay to take time to grow the elders that are needed. We don't want to rush into this. If you remember, I talked a while ago, you grow an oak tree, and a lot of time, it takes, a, it takes years, decades to build a strong oak tree. It takes six months to build a straw. Right? Which one do we want? Verse 22 then, Paul says, keep yourself pure. He's talking to Timothy. He's talking to the church. Be pure. Take time in laying on of hands. And then, and we'll just take this side note, because I think this is what Paul does. Verse 23, we have this, and don't forget, Timothy, it's okay to have a little wine. Okay. How does that fit? You ever just read the Bible and you're like, huh, I didn't see that coming. Um, how does that fit? I'm not really sure, so we'll take a stab at it. It appears that when Paul talks about purity, remain pure, that maybe all of a sudden he goes, you know what? And actually, on a side note, some of those false teachers were saying, if you drink wine, you're impure. The drinking of wine will make you impure, taint you, and you will no longer be part of the body of Christ. Maybe that's what the false teachers have been teaching. And so, Timothy, especially in the first century, not a lot of choices to drink. You either have water or you have wine. And so, uh, wine would be good for the stomach, would be healing properties in there. And so, he said, I want you to drink that. You're not going to be made impure by that. And then he gets back on track. I think that's what's happening here. Um, I wouldn't build a doctrine on that. I don't believe that this verse is given to justify drinking. I don't think it's given to not justify drinking. Um, I think it's just simply there to communicate purity for, for Timothy at this moment. Um, but the point is, is that, Timothy, what you drink doesn't make you unholy. What you drink does not make you unholy. God has made you holy through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, Timothy, you are holy. And therefore, you can live in holiness, and you can lead others in holiness. I think that's what Paul's getting at. Let's not think that if we drive a certain car, if we drink a certain thing, if we pray a certain time, um, pray during uh, so many times a day, that that's what makes us holy. God has made you holy. Then in verse 24 and 25, Paul seems to remind us that there are some sins and there are some good works that are conspicuous, and we're going to see them. We see them clearly. We clearly see that sin. We clearly see those good works. But then we realize that there is also some sins and some works that we will not see in this lifetime. There are some that will only be revealed when Jesus Christ returns. And what I take that as is not, no elder is going to be perfect. You do what you can. You closely examine 
thoroughly prepare, and you carefully choose. And sometimes there's going to be elders who come on each individual. And sometimes you're going to get your straight elders. Um, but not everything. We, we don't see the heart of everyone. And we can't. Um, so we want to be careful. Jesus loves his church. And he's given us his word that we so freely have. I mean, isn't it just think about this. There are places in the world where you, they don't even have a whole Bible. They're good if they have a page. In this room, there's almost a Bible in front of every single one of you just in the chairs. It just sits here. It's just here. I easily bring a Bible into here. You probably all have minimum of three to five Bibles at home. Probably. I have a few others in my office here. Like we have the Word of God. And it is a blessing that we have that here in America. Do not miss that. He's given us his word that we would know him, that we would know how to live, that we would better understand the church, and that we would understand the church is to be led in godliness through the preaching and teaching of, of God's word. And the way we view elders, the treating, the appointing, the honoring, and all those things demonstrates ultimately our view of God's word, which because God's word comes from the very mouth of God is the way we view when we come to, God, to the viewing of the elders, we're looking at the proclamation of God's word. Again, not the elevation of a man, not the elevation of me or Bill or any other elder. We're looking at the priority of God's word and that it's given to us that we would grow in godliness. Um, I'm going to pray and then uh, I'm going to ask Bill to come up and he's going to share a few things also this morning. And then we'll go into um, the closing song. Father given us your word and we thank you for your word that is grace to us it is grace to us god may we love your word god help us to, to study your word to know your word to grow in your word and god as we come together like this and we have elders whom are appointed and will be appointed in the future god may we honor that position for the prioritizing of your word. May we be careful with who we appoint because of the prioritizing of your word. May we never be hasty because of the prioritizing of your word. That is through your word we have faith. It's through your word we grow in faith. And God, we thank you for your word. I pray that as, as we've listened to this, that we'd each be challenged just in how we, we each individually handle your word, how we think about your word, how we prioritize your word just in our personal life, and how that affects the way we prioritize your word in our public life here. God, thank you for this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen.
gone through this many times. I, it's different when you're up here. Um, Bill loves the church. I hope you know that. I, I know you know that. If you've been here, uh, Bill's been serving for six years. He loves the church. He's committed to the church. He wants to see the church grow. And it's been uh, a privilege just serving alongside of him and listening to his heart. He and I are very different in so many ways. And it's fun. I'll be thinking one thing, and he'll bring up something else. And it's, oh, I never thought of it that way. Um, and so it's been uh, just our friendship has been really good. Um, but one thing Bill has done from the very beginning is, is he has looked at this position as, as a weighty responsibility. And he wants to do well. And with the changing of jobs, we've wrestled a lot with where is he at and does he have time to, to just be with his family too. Um, one thing that he and I have talked about is we want to build more rest into the time of elders. When elders come on, we want to build in times of rest for them to serve, but then also times for them to step down that they get to be rejuvenated and encouraged. And um, so as we go forward, we want to do even a better job with that. But I want to say thank you to Bill. He's been um, an encouragement to me. Uh, love, been, love meeting with him. We've gone through the Word together. We've done Bible studies together. We do elder meetings together. Um, we've just done a lot of things together. And it's been a blessing to me. And I, I truly hope you know that he loves the church. And, I, and this decision is because he does love the church and because he loves his family. And so I want to encourage you just after the service, um, especially come up to him and encourage him and just thank you for his time of service. And as he has said, um, we don't want this to be permanent. We want this to be a temporary time where he's able to, to step down and we're still going to be meeting and we're still doing many things. Um, but it's been a blessing to have you. You do love God. You do love his word. And that is evident in, in all that you say and all that you do. Um, and so I just greatly thank you for for how God has used you and is using you. And I thank you for how he's um, just worked in your heart on particularly the shepherding of your family at this season. And we want to support that well. Um, so I'm just going to pray. I want to pray for Bill. I just want to encourage you after, um, come up to him, give him hugs, uh, love on him. Uh, this is a man who truly loves the church and loves Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Bill. I thank you that he loves you. I thank you for the wrestling that has gone into this decision, the months that have gone into the wrestling of this decision. I thank you for his wife who loves you. I thank you for his wife that loves Bill and how they've been working through this together and that they desire uh, to please you and to glorify you in every part of their life. Lord, I pray that as, as Bill will step down, um, that you use this as an amazing time of rejuvenation, of encouragement, of time for him to just be with his family, and to still be here in the church and work in so many ways. Lord, may his decision instruct us and guide us and encourage us today in not only his love for you, but on how we are to love you and how we are to look at positions within the church and our service. God, we thank you. God, I thank you for Bill. I thank you that he's my brother in Christ. I thank you, uh, first of all, that he is your child. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thank you. 
elders. Um, the way it's worded is, in your faith can women be elders. Um, so that's next week's sermon. That's why I can uh, answer that very shortly. I'm actually going to spend a whole sermon on that uh, because uh, there is a, a large um, movement today that's questioning um, is the only men that can be elders. And so I will encourage you to come back to next week um, and we'll spend the whole time on that um, according to, um, to how we operate here and in our constitution, uh, men are elders. And we will go to the word of God to show that that is the teaching of God's word and why that's good. And we'll teach a lot about that next week. So if that raises any questions or you feel like hair bristling, that's okay. Come back next week and bring a lot of questions and we'll spend a lot of time on that. Um, but we're going to try to tackle that next week. Um, but that's a huge topic and it's something that's um, very divisive in the church today. Um, but we will talk about that and we're just going to look at God's word. And so next week, um, definitely as every week, bring your Bibles, and we're going to be back in First Timothy 2, and we're going to read over uh, the passage. So, um, so I'll just leave that to that, and I'll pray. My wife says, then we're done. So, <laughs> Father, we love you. We thank you that you, are God, that you are God. We thank you. Again, Lord, I just thank you that we all have Bibles here. I thank you that we have Bibles here. Thank you for just how easy it is to have a Bible in America. Lord, may we just not take that for granted. Um, God, may we love your word. Help us to love your word. It's in your word that, that we see you. And may we always be amazed at that. God, through your word, you are revealed. Your grace, your mercy, your wrath, your love, your son, Jesus Christ, the cross, your Holy Spirit salvation by grace through faith. Lord, we just thank you for all of that that comes through the word. God, may we be people of your word. May we honor your word. God, we thank you. Thank you for your word today. Lord, as we go out today, may we, may we commit to reading your word. May we love your word. Help us to encourage one another with your word. May we see many more Bible studies grow and come out of this church of groups of people committed to studying your word, that we would live in godliness. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace. Be with us as we leave today. In your name, Jesus. Amen.